Welcome to Mystery Outsiders and Abs. I'm Kevin Weir. I'm Aaron Weir, and this is a teen drama locked room. Yes, we will get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, hey, this is uh, this is Riverdale, and we just just watched this uh, this most recent episode, and we don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So we're usually what we do is we sort of recap the show and go through it and go through what happens in the scenes and react to them as they're coming up. This episode was mostly all of just explaining everything that happened. Essentially, the show did our job for us. The show recapped the show. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through it, and we will discuss like the scenes, how they happen, and what's revealed in each one. But we'll probably be pretty loose in just what we're talking about, just because this this is their way of revealing this last arc, and so we'll this will be us reacting to them revealing this last arc, and there are still some questions <laughs> that I don't think they're going to address anymore. Yeah, because as far as I can tell, this storyline is done. It's done. It's full done. Even though I thought this was this season's storyline. Mm, no. I'll tell you what the season storyline will probably be. Those VHS tapes that they in, that they introduced ten episodes ago. Or is it Charles? I mean, that's probably going to be involved as well. But Charles seems cool this episode. Although not that cool, because he does something that I do not approve of. Yeah. We're, we're, it's, when we get there, that's probably the thing that's least bothered me about this show. It's, it's most in line of what they want this show to be. I know, but it just makes me like those characters so much less. Also, I know characters, I know characters can't act out of character. Like, if the creator is writing it. Yeah. But it just goes against I don't think it is. We'll, what we'll, we'll I talk, know of these. We'll talk about when it comes up. Um, but, yeah, so it was weird uh it was their way of capping off this whole stonewall thing it happens real quick (laughs) it held such promise and has a cool conclusion but the middle it's like a picasso from a distance this storyline looks great it's beautiful but up close it's a big old mess i think people i think the difference is people like when picasso's a big old mess that's that's like the art style. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the art style of Riverdale. No, what I would say is that usually when we when you watch something like that, or even when we refer to this show, we're like, okay, they usually they do some pretty cool setup, and then the ending is really lackluster. I will give them this. The outcome, the plot, the actual, like... Ta- Why and what? Yeah, taken out of the context of the show is a really cool plot. And they actually have, like, a mini twist... They do not do what we expected with Donna. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but everything that led up to it, everything that led us to this reveal <laughs> was not, we'll, we'll get into it. You know, let's just get into it. All right. Sounds All right. good. Because this is Riverdale, season four, episode 16, The Locked Room. A particular note, this episode is rated 14 for fear. And other reasons, but fear is fear the is most the notable. One. Fear is the best one. <laughs> what they mean is frightening scenes, but shorting it to fear is pretty great. Sex, suicide, fear. <laughs> rated 14 for fear. Um, yeah, so we begin with uh, Jughead essentially setting up 
everything by the fact that, hey, when you pretend to be dead, you actually do start feeling pretty dead. We find out that he has been down in this bunker for two weeks, and two weeks is a long time to be like in a bunker. Yeah, I mean, at least it was a doomsday preparedness bunker. Um, it's also two weeks. I think that fits with the timeline. I think so too. It feels a little bit long for what they've shown us, but not by much. Like I could see two weeks. Two weeks is fine. Well, I feel like we've seen probably a week of it, and there's the other week where people are on a hunt to find other people. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we go through. He sort of talks about that. We do learn that he um, actually was streamed his um, <laughs> funeral because he wanted to see if the Stonies gave anything away with their reactions. But the thing is... <laughs> He knows that they tried to murder him. This is a fact that There's, he knows. <laughs> we get this thing repeatedly through this episode where they act like they don't know things. <laughs> like, like I had to see if they... Like, we know you know they killed you. I don't know why you felt like... Well, like, well, like if he was just honest and said that he wanted to see it, he wanted to see his funeral and wanted to see the Stonies freak out out of some sort of, like... Weird pleasure? Cool. Yeah, why wouldn't he? He's 18. But it's just funny him saying, like, oh, I just wanted to see if they acted weird. I'm like, what? We also get to see his uh, locker memorial again. We see Betty and Archie holding hands because they got to keep up the charade. Can we talk about how they don't have to keep up the charade? Like, they could definitely have been like, well, now it's all in the open. We don't feel like we can do it anymore. They also could have been like, we kissed once because we were sad. They're also way too smug about it. They are intensely smug. And, like, later on, we'll see a scene where, Art, where like, they're in class and Archie reaches over and touches her hand. And Veronica's, it's always Veronica and Cheryl there, glare, like, glaring at them. It feels like they're doing it for Cheryl, which would make more sense if Cheryl seemed like she was involved in some way or was a threat. Or was suspicious of the truth. But why are they doing it at their school? Like... It's <laughs> unnecessary. One kiss is enough. And I'm not saying that they should obviously give it a go, because the entire purpose they go is, like, oh, we can't tell anyone about this at all. But they're very... Very smug. Like, as they're walking down the hall holding hands, and Betty, like, gives that smile at Archie. Like, why? <laughs> I also want to point out that Junk Jughead's memorial locker has his beanie on it. Yeah. Which means that Betty has made numerous beanies when she mysteriously learned how to knit very quickly, and no one noticed her making all these beanies. I think Cheryl actually got that beanie somehow. Because Cheryl set up the locker memorial. So how... Did she just find a different gray beanie? I think she did. I think she just found a different gray beanie. Let's be honest. It's Cheryl. She just found a different gray beanie. That's Or she true. had Nana Rose knit one. She was like, I can't get Jugheads. He was buried with it. Nana, I know that you... Uh... <laughs> Nana, I know that you don't do anything all day. I know you look after babies, but I mean, come on, babies. <laughs> They're so a... little and you're so old. Yeah, could you just knit me a... <laughs> You need to knit me a hat so I can put it on a locker to remember my enemy. I called him a hobo, but I'm sad I called him a hobo. Why? I know this has nothing to do with this episode. Why are those babies still with their aunt and not their grandmother? Because the house is too full. <sighs> that seems like a very rude thing to be like, nah, you stay with <laughs> Cheryl and Tony. All right. Uh, then we start getting a sequence of where we learn essentially where people learn things. So when it very began, the, actually the first person really outside of the group who they planned on knowing to learn was Jellybean. No, they weren't going to tell her. No, Jellybean didn't need to be told. No, no, that's what I mean. Like the 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 first oh, person the first who accidental. learned the first yeah. person who learned outside of their planned group 
was Jelly Bean. I misunderstood your sentence. I'm sorry. Jelly Bean learned by overhearing. Betty talking to Archie on the phone. And she, no, Charles. Oh, that's right, Charles. Yeah, and she learned essentially at the time where Betty asked her for the fake blood. But you know what? That's very convenient because otherwise she would definitely give away everything. Yep. Um, The next person to learn was FP. And Betty told him after the bloody (laughs) rock exchange. Which... What was the conversation there where, like, or the thought was in Betty's head where she's like, well, we already tricked him. I should do it now rather than doing it beforehand to get him to do the trick. Because she realized they had to find the body. They had to throw the Stonies off the trail. I guess so. (laughs) Now, the rock thing came after the whole um, camera thing. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay. So she just feels like they're on her tail. Well, I'm just trying to figure out... Like, when this stuff happened. Yeah, okay. Uh, then Molly Ringwald Andrews learned when we knew she learned. When Archie told her. And they still don't show us Him Archie tell- telling her. They just show us that scene again. <laughs> where he closes <laughs> the blinds and says, Mom, I have to tell you something. Which tells me they did not shoot that scene because they did not plan on using it, I guess. Anyway, then we find out that Veronica also wanted to tell someone. Yeah, at some unknown time. It, th- it's actually not clear when this oh, happened. Oh, no, this is, aft- this is after Hermosa um, confronts her and is like, hey, you guys all told wildly different stories. Well, I know it was then, but this exact moment, the moment that led to this moment, like the... Veronica did it immediately <laughs> after that. She was like, oh, you're yelling at me about us having different plans. Wait. It's just, it's just weird how they had... I guess because Archie, because the idea is that, they, that you thought Archie was telling his mom about the murder is exactly. the idea why they showed that one. Anyway, um, then so she told her told Hermosa about it, and so at that point, she uh, paid Hermosa to do an investigation because Hermosa, in addition to running a rum empire in Miami, is a licensed private investigator. And I do like how it is implied there that she says that repeatedly and often enough for Veronica to go, you're a licensed, pri- I know you're a licensed <laughs> private investigator. The more you say it, the more I think you're actually just lying about it. I also... Also, you're not licensed for Riverdale. <laughs> I do love that she pays her sister to do this. There is no love between no, these sisters. No, it's a capitalist family. <laughs> this is this is not an exchange for me, uh, for me telling you the truth. It's I will pay you. This is maybe the best Veronica scene I have ever seen. Because because they they have a clear indication of who Veronica is in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we sort of get more of Jughead like looking at his wall. mystery wall, and he explains this is not a who done it because he knows who done it because they did it to him. He does seem to forget who done it a few times throughout this episode, though. <laughs> it is a. Why done it? Can I put it on this board? Under Jonathan, he wrote the words food poisoning. Which he doesn't learn until later. Unless. Unless if they learn that now. Na- <laughs> but why would they know that? Why would they know the alibi before well, they ask the person what the alibi is? You know, we do see Donna looking at his Facebook. Maybe they were looking at the Stoney's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Jonathan being like, oh man, I gotta go home from Stonewall because I have food poisoning. I, I I think it's probably just a set deck mistake. <laughs> Which means that they po- food poisoned Jonathan to death. No, I I don't think that's the case. I think I think they just claim that's the reason why he's not around. I bet mean, they just pushed him in a river somewhere. That makes me very sad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he's Jughead a- is about to tell us Donna's no, secret. No, this is the best part because this confirms those voiceovers are canonically now. And he's, he's writing on a typewriter. Yeah, 
hit all these voiceovers are the things he's thinking at that moment and that's very important because we were trying to figure out is this Jughead in the future looking past or is this Jughead right now this is Jughead right now which means in that first season what was happening that he knew everybody's business at the same time <laughs> he wasn't even friends with Archie in the first season he wasn't friends with a lot of you in the first season and he knew everything that was going on with them he is a psychic he is a ghost he is all things but he, but he did get bashed in the head so. that's how he knew about the food poisoning <laughs> that makes a lot of sense <laughs> Oh man, maybe he's a psychic, but he but he acts very much like I mean, like his powers work very much like the TV psychics, where it's like I'm getting a feeling, an F, an F, food, food, food. Po- Jonathan was food poisoned. So it turns out he's just really good at reading the room. <laughs> so he's about to explain Donna's secret, um, and then Betty busts in, and and she's like, Oh no, this person, they totally agreed. They're showering as we speak. Let's go do our thing. And I thought it was related to Donna's secret. It's not. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a third thing. So, despite the fact that Jughead has been kicked out of school and Jonathan is dead, and Jughead is dead too, I guess, Yeah. the Power Rangers still set out five chairs for a literary <laughs> seminar. It's very... Um, <laughs> Once again, it's the idea of, like, who are they playing for? Because there's, no, like, there's no way those chairs live in that circle. Yeah, they have to bring them there. Yeah. Anyway, so now we are in the the room that the Power Rangers have their party. And obviously Jonathan isn't there because he we heard he was dead last episode. And DuPont is lecturing about crime and punishment. And I'm just going to bu- say... The book Crime and Punishment. Yes. There are a lot of literary references in this episode. I didn't write any of them down because they're all, like, super obvious, really big classics. Yeah. I mean, uh, I did. <laughs> Great. Um, I, I do want to point out, they nev- Donna never catches on that Betty's whole fake death speech from uh, The Final Problem was a taunt, which is infuriating to me for a class of literary experts and students to not know one of them the context of the the... context of that that would have been a great way to do the whole clue all right anyway what happens oh my goodness (laughs) betty and jughead bust into that literary seminar yeah i'm like oh oh they're this is not going anywhere we're wrapping up now and that the storyline's done in episode 17 that and that made me sad i got very sad at that moment because i thought we were going to get more of like Oh, we're on. Oh, we're pulling the string. The string is being pulled. We're going down this rabbit hole. Jughead has to make sure he he still remains dead. Where all these things being parsed if, apart. If they didn't churn through storylines like they were M and M's. Well, but this storyline's been going on for a while, but it felt like it just got started. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like they just are like, oh, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's going to be this. Now it's going to be done. Yeah. I ate all my M and M's. I'm sorry. So. Yes, at this point, I got sad. But we had to continue on. Jughead makes a Mark Twain quote. (laughs) Reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Yes. Uh, And then he explains that in the literary class, they apparently mostly only studied murder mysteries. But not the true, you know, one great example of a murder mystery. The living room drama. No, the locked room. Yeah, I know, but... So he is going to literally lock them into a room. Now, can I say something about the locked room mystery as well? This is also a terrible example of a locked room mystery. A locked room mystery is is he's, he said earlier that it's a why done not a who done it. The thing that makes a locked room mystery appealing is that you have a room and you know that one of those people is the murderer, and you're trying to suss out through their reactions, through their 
like clues him that who is the one. What? It's, it's not super engaging when you know they're all in it together. When you know it's ju- I'm going to do a spoiler. Yeah. When you know it's just an Oriental Express. Yeah, it's not as it's not as exciting when you're when you're doing that because you don't you can't really play along. At this point you are just listening to a, to someone do a monologue explaining a whole bunch of things. And the reason that the explanation, the reason when in a crime, in a mystery, the explanation where the detective goes let me explain what's going on. When you watch um, uh, Piero uh, explain what 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 happened, is it's exciting because you've seen everything that came up to that point, and you want to know how he has unraveled it. In this, <clears throat> in a way, so they have half an hour to do this, and yes. this is essentially how long it takes, almost. Yeah. In this. Betty and Jughead very clearly explain what happened in the season to us, the audience. But we know, know what happened in the season. Because we saw it. Now, they put a few things into interesting context. So, the let's just say the first big reveal, after all the stuff they do to explain, the first big reveal is that Moose was recruited to the school essentially to be... A sacrifice. Yeah, so they realize that the reason that Chipping hated the Baxter Boys contract and was drinking a lot and was feeling a lot of guilt and feeling a lot of weird emotions, having inner demons, is because in order to get a Baxter Brothers contract, you don't write the perfect murder, you do the perfect murder. Yes, um, Jughead does this weird thing where he links in a lot of stuff about like, oh, my grandfather was also invited here, and I was invited here, and Moose was invited here, and Chipping invited Moose here, but then he pushed him out. And it's a lot of wind-up that really doesn't mean anything. It just lengthens out this reveal. And this is a really cool reveal, because I will say, to be honest, it never crossed my mind that all of the Baxter Brother writers yeah, had done a murder. That That is a cool thing to do as it that as we've said earlier this is a cool outcome um this is actually probably this specific like twist which is probably the best one that i could look back and be like oh yeah this all it makes sense this all makes sense chipping invited moose to the school because he was a he was a good target he was a sad loner he was a sad loner um and then he kicked him out because once as a time was growing closer he had a lot of regrets. He had a lot of... A lot of guilt. He had his inner demons, and he couldn't make... He couldn't be the reason another boy died. Yeah. Um, and then Jughead turns it into talking about why he was there. And what he lands on is that he was essentially there to be bait. To try to lure out Jughead's grandfather. It should be noted that that does not work. Not at all. But but DuPont doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, so Jughead... Because Jughead actually wasn't invited by Mr. Chipping, I don't... Or was he invited by Mr. Chipping? Uh, I know he met with Mr. Chipping he when he was there. He met with Mr. Chipping, but Mr. Chipping may have not fa- found Jughead. Yeah. Like, Mr. Chipping could have been pushed a bit by DuPont. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, there's in the middle of there, there's a reference to Lord of the Flies... Just to, because I said I wrote down the references. So oh, I'm I, d- I did remember that one. Yeah. Because Jughead has the conch, which means he's allowed to yeah. talk. <laughs> he says, I have the conch. Commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> so th- then we should bring up 
the the thing that will be constantly brought up here, which is Jughead keeps saying that DuPont stole it from his grandfather. Now, DuPont did he DuPont keeps insisting I did something legal, I did something legal. Which he, he, did. he did. Now he, here's the thing. He actually did. Like it don't get me wrong, it sucks. DuPont bought the book from uh, Forsyth and he did a much better job of publicizing it and getting it out and doing something with it. And that's and that sucks. But they keep saying you exploited him, you took advantage of this poor kid from the wrong side of the tracks, and to be fair, no one like there was no guarantee that idea was gonna blow up. Yeah, like it's it, yeah, it's not. It, it's it's harder because this is a book. If this was an invention that he had, like you know, uh, what what is it, Edison from him, then yeah, you could be more like, oh yeah, you took advantage of this. But just being like, he bought the book from him, and then and like, it's not a particularly novel idea. Yeah, it, especially because the later books were very different in tone and the things that they tackled. Than the original, it, yeah, FP Grandpa book. Yeah, like it is worth saying that like that book probably didn't get popular only off of the first book, and it may be <sighs> the work that Dupont himself did that actually. I mean, Dupont did get the book out there, and of course he had a lot of advantages. He was because he was rich. He was rich. He had all those things, but they're but they're they're constantly like you stole it. You you you're a thief, and you're this, and he. It, uh. Th- that's the least of his crimes. Yeah, like, but the but the, the problem is that we'll come to is that, that is the impetus for the rest of his crime. I'm not saying he is blameless. I'm saying he is also wildly overestimating he, all of this he, stuff. He did wildly overreact. So, because to be fair, if it came out that he didn't write the first book, that would be a scandal. Yeah. For sure. But then probably he doesn't write the other books. So, so the things that he has done... Really, really, what really, really, what happened there is that Forsyth was the first ghostwriter. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there are a lot of book series where it's just. I think, I think, I could be wrong. It's yeah. been a while since I looked it up. I think the original Nancy Drew series, because it came out after the Hardy Boys. Yeah. I don't think because Carolyn Keene, I think, is the author. Yeah. I don't think that's a real person at all. I think Nancy Drew was always commissioned to be a series written by a series of ghostwriters. Well, I also, I, I think the original writer, uh, the Baxter Brothers, I think it's always, it's not even DuPont's name, is it? I think it's just a different, it's always a different name. I, I think so. It's not a different name. It's, it's, it's never been DuPont. Now, everything DuPont has done since stealing this book, or since buying this book, everything he's done to cover up the fact that he didn't write it is... That shit insane. And we'll we'll get to that when that comes up, I guess. But the next thing, the next, uh, we do get a little bit where Jughead tries to explain why Chipping killed himself, and I think it's because Jughead was looking into the whole. Jughead was going to reveal the whole thing. Yeah, and so, so somehow they threatened Chipping with that. I think they told him that Donna was going to come forward. I think they just told him we'll reveal that you murdered this. Like, oh yeah. Well, because here's like, I don't think actually he knew anything about the Donna thing. I think that was a post after it was done play 
to mm-hmm. work at that moment. Because Dawn is actually pretty pretty good at coming up with Yushi's book that lies on the point. I do want to mention that Jughead brings up something like, actually, what really tipped me off was all your blank expressions when Tip- Chip- Chipping jumped out the window. And me and I were like, yeah, we know that was weird. It was a plot point. It, like, zoomed in on their... Yeah, they, they showed us that scene again, and it's like, at that, that moment, oh, I knew something was going on here. I'm like, yeah, we all did. Yeah. Why are you acting like you, like, oh, you're the genius who realized that moment. That's the moment. Like, what? <laughs> That's a weird thing to do. So I have a question for you. Yeah. And my question is, when did all of these kids find out that in order to get the contract... They'd have to do a murder. Do we want? Do and we want why to, were they also okay with it? Do you want to touch on that now? Yeah, because I can't. Okay. Um, so the, it's interesting. Later, later when uh, they actually start confronting Dupont about this, um, he says, "Oh, I never told anyone to uh, to like I, I like. Oh no, I'm a hands off serial killer. I never told anyone to do anything." And weirdly enough, I do believe him. But that means it's, it's impossible. How did these kids know that? They were supposed to murder Moose, and then when Moose left, they gave Jughead the contract. To... And he became the target, essentially. So, I mean, I guess at that point, they knew he was the target. I think they knew – I think the idea is that they knew from the beginning of the year. That's why there was only five of them. Like, the, like essentially, they got the... – So how did they know that those were the kids who'd be willing to – I don't know. <laughs> like, I, 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 Brett makes sense, because Brett is legacy, and I can assume John is like Jonathan is legacy, and maybe Joan's legacy, but we specifically learned Donna is not legacy. How do they figure out that Donna like how do you how do you broach that how, with someone? How do you test for this? Aaron, uh I hear that you want to be a writer, you want to be an author of something. I do want to be an author. On a scale of one to uh let's just say a murder uh, I mean just just to figure out the other side of the scale like how what what how much do you want to be a uh, an author well I mean I really want to be an author but I don't think I'd kill anyone you for that you don't think you'd kill anyone to be a ghostwriter on a book series well I just think there's other ways to achieve your dreams okay interesting interesting we'll take that into uh, we'll take that into account uh we'll not kill someone <laughs> Yeah, I do not know how they broached that, <laughs> that with these children. <laughs> and, the, and oh, I, I just, as I guess a spoiler for everyone out here, I don't think we can expect any of these questions we are asking to ever be answered. It really feels like they're done. Because everyone. And it feels so final. Like This could have been a series finale. You know what? You're right. This could be the end of Riverdale. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they convinced them. And I don't know when they, like, I, I have to assume before Jughead and Moose came in. Because remember, they both came in in the senior year. Which yes. means there's a distinct chance that these, these kids have been working towards a murder since, since their junior year. Or their freshman or their year. freshman year. And they're like, when you're seniors, someone new is going to be invited to this school. Well, I'm assuming that's why there's, it's such a, because he, he does explain that this literary group is a very select group. So then also, is every Quill and Skull year? What bugs me a lot, and they do this a lot in this, is that they conflate the writing group and Quill and Skull. And they seem so unwilling to really push into Quill and Skull and be like, this is a secret society where you are people who are, who like, are funded around this 
this YA like book series, book series, and that's fine because there's a lot of money out of that in this world. There's a lot of money mm-hmm. out of it, so you can have a secret society around it. But we never get too much Quill and Skull. It seems like it's just Dupont and these kids. So that's my other question: Are there only Quill and Skull inductees on years where the current Ghostwriter feels like they want to retire, and there's no other members? Like, if you were going to write the books for like also DuPont is not old enough to have written the Hardy Boys but that's neither here nor there <laughs> so like you know you become the ghostwriter because there's only yeah. been four I'm in four yeah DuPont and then four ghostwriters yeah so do they have to say hey I feel like I'm going to retire soon can we please start a literary society at Stonewall Prep let's do the murder thing so I... there's no other members well and and like they're... and how are you not instantly suspicious of that as a member of the Quill and Skull yeah <laughs> Well, it would be better if the Quill and Skull was so involved in it, but it, but they they do not really mention Quill and Skull. Like they they bring it up occasionally from now on, but they everyone seems to be under the impression like, oh, and the Quill and Skull is just this innocent secret society. It has nothing to do with it. The only people who have ever been in it are people who were in the running to. And okay, so the person who gets the contract, yeah, does a murder. What happens to the rest of them? Yeah, do they? I assume that's the reason why they have the Cool and Skull, is the idea is that when you are in it, one of you will get the thing, but everyone else, because you're in the secret society, are sworn to secrecy. Yeah, and I guess if you're an attempted murderer who failed at murdering, you don't want to tell people that there are other murderers out there Actually, trying to do a murder. apparently, Aaron, that's fine. So moving on, <laughs> <laughs> um, we we get this, like, big uh, sort of, like, reveal um, that... Jughead says, like, and you all did it. And and does this thing where it's like, Betty, Donna lured Betty out into the woods. And we're like, well, Brett, like, we we know. All of these are things we know. We saw it. They spend about 10 or 15 minutes explaining plot points that we already understand, like we have not connected them in our heads. Like, <laughs> Now, to be fair, they do tell us that Joan is the one who smashed Jughead with the rock, which is dumb. Why wouldn't you make Brett smash him with the rock? That's how you guarantee that he's dead. Oh, yeah. And then he goes, goes at all, though, your one mistake, which is, yeah, their one mistake is they didn't actually kill him, which actually they may have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there was everyone had one job. Yeah. One was distracting Betty and throwing sh- breathing drugs into her face yeah one was being brett one was one was being existent um and one was hit with a rock and then jonathan didn't do anything no his job was to check jughead's pulse right because these kids are are idiots and they're like well everyone gets one job and we're union so you don't do each other's job we're union murderers (laughs) here i guess that's why they got assigned the wrong jobs (laughs) Yeah, even yeah. Also, Brett. we also find out in the scene that Donna, in fact, had two jobs. Yes, to breathe drugs into Betty's face and then to put the bloody rock into Betty's hand, which means that Donna's fingerprints are on the rock. Yeah, can we quantify that they were that definitely their fingerprints are on that rock? And also, where did the second rock come from? It's yeah. not mentioned. What, what was the other rock that they found? Yes, yeah, not mentioned. Not mentioned at all that they had a second rock. They also got her his blood and her fingerprints on. Um. I would like to also mention that they they keep on blaming that like oh Jonathan didn't ch- he should he should make sure he's dead I'm like you guys should just hit him like don't don't get me wrong I, hit him more than once and I get maybe this could be portrayed as they all were like hesitant at a certain point 
but that's not how it's played in the future. In the future, they're all like all in. They're all all in. So why didn't they make sure it was more? Now, to be <laughs> fair, I did just figure out why Joan should be the one to do the hitting. Why? Because she is closer in height to Betty than Brett, and you know. If this were a real TV show, they would be concerned with that kind of stuff. I guess I, that that is that is I guess the, the excuse that we'll we'll go with is that. But she's... this is me just headcanoning <laughs> this. Yeah, sure. Um, then we get that Archie check the pulse, and there was none. Then Betty checks the pulse, and, and there is and not. She doesn't say anything. She checks the pulse, and then they begin C- CPR. And they also stop the bleeding with his beanie. Yeah. Um. I don't want to get... I don't know if we want to get into CPRing someone who doesn't have a pulse. I think we have to do what you assumed and assume that both... That Archie couldn't find a pulse. But then why didn't Betty say, no, it's faint, but it's there? And I I understand that is not likely as a human being to say those things. But as an audience, you have one character say, he doesn't have a pulse. You need another character... To either dispute that so the audience doesn't automatically agree with him or... I mean, again, if this were real life, no one's going to find his pulse. (laughs) People are not good at that. Yeah. So if 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 this were real life, Betty would also try to find his pulse, wouldn't be able to, would just panic and first aid him anyway. If anyone should be able to, though, in this show, it would be Betty. Yeah. And I guess Veronica because, you know... (laughs) So anyway, Archie's strong, strong Roho arms bring Jughead back to life, and he regains consciousness for just enough time to say, no hospitals, and then he's in a coma for 36 hours. Yeah. Um, oh, we forgot to clarify. Do you know how we know that it was Joan who also knocked him in the back of the head and not like Jonathan or something? Because Jughead can smell her, <laughs> knows the smell of her perfume. <laughs> She must have a very specific, very gross perfume that she wears all the time. Well, it's the sort of thing that you give to, like, Sherlock Holmes to be like, and yes, he can detect the uh, specific notes of perfumes, but they also just had Jughead be like, yeah, I got a real good smell. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, he wakes up, no hospital. Um, we do get a moment from Donna being like, why would someone ask no hospital? And I'm like... It doesn't matter, Donna. He clearly did. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, that, that does not break apart the story. He's still alive, Donna. <laughs> yeah, like, no. I think he's a ghost now. So, Betty, listen to what he said. She called Charles. Yep. Uh, we get an FBI med van. Of note, there are two other FBI people. So, this is Dressed cons- like sailors. This is a conspiracy that goes straight to the top. Yeah. Or straight um, to the sideways of Charles. Yeah. It's no worthy that now Betty does 100% trust Charles. So yep. I guess that will be heartbreaking when that's <laughs> terrible. And so Charles tells them to go do the bonfire thing. And we yep. see that bonfire scene that we saw at the end of last season. Again. So remember how we have that bit where Betty goes. Um, we'll burn our clothes. Then we'll go our separate ways. We'll never talk of this again. Turns out if we saw about five seconds before that or five seconds after that. <laughs> we would have heard her say twice if he dies. Yeah. Veronica is very worried about what happens if he actually dies. Um, Betty, I guess being a freak, um, <laughs> says, well, we'll cover it up. <laughs> we will, we'll leave. We'll go our separate ways. We'll never speak of this. And I'm like, you did call the FBI. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have right on your side. But keep in mind, at that point, Betty was afraid that she actually did it. And that's true. Yeah. And, that, and that, is, that is fair. And also, I think... Maybe that explains Veronica's whole deal is that she 
think she also like whether or not Julia survives. She's trying to figure out if if Betty actually did the head beating. Yeah. Now that will require a lot of very intricate looking into the specific lines she says in that episode, and I don't care enough to do that. Yeah, I'm not going back. I'm but... not going back there. Let's just assume that that is why she was being all <laughs> weird about that. Yeah, let's just assume the show did a good thing. You know what? We'll give we'll give you that one show. This the the actual plot was fine enough that I will give you this one thing, even though you kind of. They didn't even screw up the dismount. They screwed up the run-up, but nailed the dismount. How do you do that? They So they, like, <laughs> ran up, they tripped over their feet, and then somehow they got such momentum jumping over the pommel right. horse. Yeah, you're also imagining a pommel horse. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, but I, they I, ended up doing, like, a reverse cartwheel flip in the air. I'm imagining them running up, they trip, and they're just, like, going end over end because they had so much speed. They hit the spring, they jump in the air, they bounce off the horse, but then they land on both feet, hands in the air. <laughs> they're like, well, I guess good dismount. I meant to do that. <laughs> Everything else was obviously terrible, but good dismount. Uh, this does end with... Um, the weird reveal that Dr. Curdle Jr. was in on it. Once again, something we, we know. Like, it's weird. Really, they should have not had that line where Betty explains all who knew it. Because this episode would have been a lot more interesting as we were learning who was in on it. And when. Instead, we know who was in on it. And he's just explaining to them. I do like that they do show Jughead doing gore makeup on his own face so he can go lay down on the gurney. Yeah, yeah. Because they knew that Donna they had to be, they do and just Prep in case. were going to burst into the room? I'm, I'll, I'll give them two things. One, just in case, and two, definitely. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> These are bad murderers. Uh, and then we move on to DuPont. He gives an A for effort. Uh, the, he, the, they reveal to him that they essentially tracked in all the ghostwriters. And every single ghostwriter was like, I need my lawyer. Which is suspicious if you didn't do a murder. Though, not if you're, like, someone who, like, I mean, they, I know they're ghostwriters, but they're kind of in the public eye. And then DuPont, this is when DuPont goes, okay, well, lots of people were murdered, but I didn't tell anyone to do a murder. Yeah, so then we learn what the, the fate of DuPont's original literary club. Which are people that we know, because I remember you talking to me chickens. about Charles Chickens. Charles Chick, Charles W. Chickens. These are the people... That Jughead is looking up. Here's the problem. I feel like when they first showed this, these people were conflated with the Stonewall Four. Yes. I thought these were the Stonewall Four. So it turns out the Stonewall Four were different people, and we learned one of their names at one point. But these people... Oh, actually, we actually don't learn their names. We only learn the people who killed them. Oh, that's right. Person A, person B. Yeah. yeah. At this point, we find out that everyone who was in the literary society with F.P. Sr. Yeah. And with DuPont... Had They had illustrious writing careers that were cut short by death. Yeah, they all died in suspicious accidents, like having, like being a, um, a professional, not professional, but an expert scuba diver whose tank malfunctioned. Um, having their brake lines cut. Can we, now, oh man, now there's a few things here. One, once again, we're not going to dwell on it for too much, but DuPont did do this legally, and his reaction is, I can't let anyone find out. Guess I better murder everybody. I should murder everyone who was in the literary club with me who knows that he wrote that book. This this is like, Aaron, if you buy a, like a cinnamon bun from 
Safeway. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, it's a really good cinema moment. And you're like, oh, yeah, I made it myself. But then you're like, oh, man, all these people, I mean, if they know that I didn't actually make the cinema myself, I better cut all their t- breaks. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only logical reaction. He did something that actually probably would not break. It wouldn't break the Baxter Brothers. Let's be honest. This would not. People would be like, oh, my God, he bought the first book? What about the other ones? No, he wrote those. Oh. So, I mean, that's weird. <laughs> that's, that is weird. But I wonder if part of the thing with the Baxter Brothers is they're, like, wholesome, all-American, good boy detectives. Yeah, but him buying the first book for $500. $5,000. $5,000 in 1980? <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait, it was $5,000? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, that, that is... When, when, did, when do we think that they the Baxter Brothers started? Well, we know that FP is 50. Yeah. And we, I'm just going to spell this now. We find out that, remember when FP's dad went out to get cigarettes and never came back? Yeah, he was running away from the murder. So that happened when FP was, like, a kid, like six. Okay, so that was at minimum 42 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so 44 years ago. Yeah. And then, of course, F, of course, there had to be years between then. So this was, oh my god, this is like the 1940s? No, what kind of math are you doing? It's well, I was trying. I was imagining that they also ha- waited until they were thirty-two to have any children, like everyone in this show does. Okay, du- <laughs> Dupont was maybe no, born was the- in the nineteen forties. No, no, I was, I was joking. It's probably like the the 19- late nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. Yeah. So he stole the book then, bought the book then. Bought, we have to say he bought the book because he did buy the book. Like, don't get like it's hard to quantify this. What he did was weird, but not illegal, and everyone's treating it like the darkest thing he could do. So he bought the book yeah. in the 50s, we'll say, mm-hmm. but then he didn't start murdering until the early 80s. Yeah. So it did take a long time before he was like, oh, got to murder these people. I was going for that. If he paid him $5,000 in the, in the 50s, that is a lot of money. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's $5,000. That's an insane amount of money. I'm not going to listen to the episode again, but... I might. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so he killed them all in accidents, and then they have to reveal the guest. Because in comes Charles, and in comes FP. Who is dressed as a serpent, yeah. not a sheriff. Yes, this is serpent time now. Well, because, uh, honestly, Charles is the Is the lawman. Law he, he doesn't have to be law. And behind them. Who they make close the door, <laughs> which I don't know why is weird to me. It's a power dynamic. Now he's locking them in. Yeah. It's Grandpa Jones. Oh. Ooh. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kevin. What'd you learn this week? Well, we learned that... <laughs> Uh, a few things. Uh, Riverdale, as you know, as everyone out there obviously knows, is going on break for four weeks a month. Yeah, it doesn't come back until early April, April 9th or whatever. Yeah. Um, and not only that, on their film set, they uh, they unfortunately had a uh, potential outbreak of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Someone tested positive. Someone... Now, have other people tested positive? We don't know yet. Yeah. And so, so really what that comes down to... Is there still shooting? That is what we learned. Yeah, it has, like, we're, we're not going to make fun of anyone getting sick. That's not the point of well, this. Well, and also, even if no one on their set 
tested positive, they'd be shutting down anyway, because that's a massive mass gathering with a lot of people touching each other and a lot of people touching their faces. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm, we're not we're not surprised by that. But I'm, they're still filming. They're still filming. That's where they. That's why there's a month break now. They're still filming, and now I don't know a lot about the intricacies of like film movies and films shoot in different ways, and I want to say that like you know I'll know how at that level of filmmaking how they work. But that, they have like eight episodes left. And it just seems bonkers that they're, I mean, I guess they have to take a break for winter. I'm assuming they have to be, they have to be filming the finale, right? Or are they filming next season? I, it's too early for that. Um, no, I don't think they're filming next season. I mean, it, 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 it's. <laughs> well, when did, um, what time of year did Luke Perry Andrews die? Sorry, what time of year did Luke Perry die? Um, oh, I can't remember. Because they hadn't finished filming the season when he died. Um, remember? They had like three episodes to go. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember. Yeah. I honestly can't remember. Me neither. Um, I don't know. It's, it's It just, it seems wrong <laughs> that they're still filming for yeah, this season. Yeah. And as I said, maybe, maybe I'm not, but it feels like they should, like they should be in post-production right now. Yeah. I'm surprised. So that's, I'm not surprised that it's still being worked on. I'm surprised it's still in production. The fact that it hasn't that these that the finale, which I mean, I guess they are taking a month off. But if they weren't taking a month off, the finale would be up next month, really. Yeah, because there's only seven more episodes, I think. Yeah, that's why they have all these breaks. They're still filming it. And I don't know. I feel like they take these breaks though, so that they can like gauge audience response and change things. Because the speed at which they have abandoned some things. Oh yeah. Or like. You know, retcon storylines. So they're, tr- they're trying there's, to do the the soap opera. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they're not responding to what the audience well, is that's, saying. That's pretty wild. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's what we learned. So it turns out we already revealed this that the reason that Grandpa Jones um, ran away was because Theo, who was the last man to die, the scuba man. Well, his name was the- Theodore um, Wazell. Can I say that when um, when he started talking, like, all right, uh, Forsyth, tell your story, he goes. Oh, he's, he's, I think he says, like, Theo Wiesel, but it really sounded like a wise owl came to me. <laughs> and I'm like, where are we going? <laughs> what's what's going on here? <laughs> a wise owl came to me and he told me about all your dark plots to bought. And I told that owl, why are you outside my house? And he said, I have berries for you. And I'm like, I don't eat berries. And then I walked off into the night and <laughs> abandoned my son. Sorry, boy. Sorry, boy. Had nothing to do with this. Um, so we should clarify. This is when Jughead went off and found an old man in a trailer. That was his grandfather. And his grandfather has been collecting evidence for years I to th- prove that DuPont is a murderer. Now, I thought it was a trick uh, because that's what I thought it was. Um <sighs> I might want to go back and watch that scene again because it seems weird to me that he wouldn't like warn his son, his grandson or something. When he found out that his grandson was going to Stonewall, he wouldn't be like, "Hey, murderers live there." Didn't he convince him almost to stay at Stonewall? I don't but, remember. But I can't remember what they actually honestly like talked about. Um, and it seems weird. Like, why would like, like even if he did not like his son being there? Did he think that was part of the Dupont plot? And he was like. Oh, I can't tell him the secret because... Well, we do find out that Jughead knows he was invited to the school to be bait, to draw his grandpa out of hiding, which (laughs) did not work. work. (laughs) 
<laughs> DuPont did not understand that family dynamic. Which leads into Charles' job. See, while this was going on, while this nonsense was going on, there was actually good police work going on outside, which is Charles. Charles has a warrant, for he is an FBI. <laughs> and he found trophies of victims. Hidden in a hollowed out Oxford English Dictionary in DuPont's house. Which, I don't know what those trophies were then. Were they all their pins? Maybe. That would be cool. We didn't see it. And also, with all the ghost writers lowering, low, lowering up, it's enough to at least... Like, charge char- him. Like, like, bring him in. Um, DuPont loses his mind. He's like, I'm not a killer. I'm a builder. I built the Baxter Brothers. True. Hey, I, I built this school. Like, Untrue. Like, I'm guessing you mean reputation, but it wasn't not a high reputation. I mean, you went to that school, DuPont. That's... We know you went to that school. <laughs> That's when you came up with this book series. This is where he says he didn't tell anyone pretty much to do anything. And he's like, oh, I'm a man of honor. And a man of honor does one thing in a situation like this. He jumps out the same window Mr. Chipping jumps. Out. And now we know how high up that and window is. And now we is. get to see how high it is. <laughs> it's high. And conveniently, there's a sidewalk just down from the window if for he did, head smashing. If he did not hit that sidewalk, I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's an old man. He probably, yeah. probably would have broken a whole lot of things. Um, I don't want to dwell do too much into DuPont's entire weirdo speech there. But it is noteworthy that once again, they really underplay the Quill and Skull being anything other than just... A group, but it has the Brotherhood, and there's no way the Brotherhood doesn't know about the murders. Is the Brotherhood just the old ghostwriters? Unless if they no, because I don't, I, I can't ima- imagine that because that, that would be weird. Because they said we found the old ghostwriters. Oh, that's right. Which means so who is the brother? Is the Brotherhood the other members of Quill and Skull from the years where there wasn't a new ghostwriter picked? I don't know. We'll never know. Because they set this thing up with this cool secret society and then didn't know how to utilize it in a conspiracy. Like, they, they, they treat this as DuPont. Once DuPont is gone, DuPont was the one who was doing all of this. But keep in mind, he orchestrated a lot of accidental deaths across the world, which means he had to have been backed up by the Quill and Skull. And the fact that nobody is like, oh, the Quill and Skull is a... Secret society murdering well, authors. <laughs> they do mention that the Quillen Skull was disbanded when Alice does her news interview later. Yeah, but, like, it doesn't feel... This is essentially <laughs> what they did with the cult, where they did, like, a really cool lead-up, and they were like, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, because then it just leads into dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So Charles first interviews Joan, and he... Joan, for some reason, gets an open, like, an interview in an open area. <laughs> And he explains to her, we have all of the text messages between you and Donna, and it's very clear that Donna's manipulating you. So f- turn on her, and you'll get a reduced sentence. But how was how Donna manipulating Joan? Because Joan... I mean, Donna probably manipulated Joan into being the one who hit the, with the rock. I guess. I guess it, they what they meant by that is they meant, like, Joan, you should do it. You're so strong. Yeah. <laughs> Joan, you're just... You're so strong, and you talk so much. <laughs> you're such a main character, Joan. You just... You should be the one to hit him. It should be you. Also, the fact that these kids are talking about a murder over text message is Real dumb. dumb. <laughs> so Joan responds, no, she will not be turning on anyone, for her father is an ambassador, and she has diplomatic immunity. So she will be returning to the country she's from, never to come back to the States. <laughs> never to return again. Joan is gone. Joan is never coming back to the U.S. Um, <laughs> Cut to Charles asking... Probably not the most pertinent question, but like, Donna, 
why did you tell Jughead that Brett had diplomatic immunity when it was Joan? And I'm like, now hold on. Just because Joan has it does not mean Brett doesn't. It also means that Jughead never looked up. Brett. <laughs> it, it reveals a lot of nonsense, that one line. Uh Joan just, or Donna just cries. She has a lot of her being like, no, it's so hard. Everyone tricked me. DuPont, I'm just so glad that that monster DuPont is dead. And, and Charles I, is having none of it. Well, I think as you said, we have the text messages, Donna. <laughs> you you texted about your murder plot. He's like, all right. All right. Uh, and then cut to Brett. Now, Brett is very bready in this in this investigation. He seems to not understand the gravity of it, is the best part. So Charles explains to Brett that he's being charged for his illegal sex tapes, some of which are minors. Definitely child pornography. And uh, his conspiracy to murder. But they're willing to let the sex tapes slide. If he gives them to them. And Brett... Brett's all over that. Brett's like, no, no. Instead, how about uh, you can put, you can, um, no, it's attempted murder. He wants conspiracy murder. After the fact. Conspiracy after the fact. No, no, you will, uh, you, you can charge me conspiracy after the fact, which my lawyer, who's not here right now for some reason. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. My lawyer will plead down to, like, accident, like, some accident or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so then, then he can just do community service. Yeah. Uh, and and in and if but if you don't do that, then I will release the tape of Jughead and Betty. And I'm like, Brett, do you What? <laughs> you he really thinks that is the worst thing that someone could do. Like, oh my god, if he does that, that's like him he thinks he has a nuclear bomb. Well and the thing is like all of Betty's parents and all of Jughead's parents know that the tape exists yeah like the reason that sex tapes are a, a thing is because either you made the sex tape and so people are like oh they're so dirty they made a sex tape which yeah. is not dirty or you're having sex with someone you're not supposed to and then it's revealed like what does he think he's revealing well and it's also usually because the person's like famous yeah like these, these are just two two teens two teens that he taped so if so if he released it that would just be illegal they actually have laws against that <laughs> yeah you can't film people having sex brett yeah so he's like oh well you know if you don't if you don't let if you don't you know let play down to this thing i'll do something else illegal and he's like okay then i'll arrest you for that as well he's like but you know what <laughs> first you are gross so i'm gonna leave this room yep and uh in comes jughead and uh FP, FP, dressed as serpents. With brass knuckles, and they beat him really badly. He is spitting blood on the table. Can we? So there's two things I want to clarify now. Now, he, don't get me wrong, he is a terrible person, but it's revealed that he's not the actual, like, conniving he's, mastermind. He's the he's an idiot jock, really. Yeah, he's just a cocky dummy who thought that he was more powerful than he is and lashed out. Yeah, and so I do want to clarify also, I... This is I do think this is in character with Jughead and um, FP because Jughead was also the one who who like carved Penny's arm off. Okay, but Penny was actively trying. No, I, I I think this is I think this is an over uh, this is an overreaction on their parts. I just I don't like it. I don't like that we're supposed to root like these are our heroes. Jughead and FP I think are our main heroes well, other than Betty. I don't like that we're supposed to root for these characters. Well, what it comes down to, and I, what I think it is, is that really 
this part is them acting in the way that the show keeps on wanting us to think they should act in. Oh, they're so tough. So when they finally actually do it, it is jarring because the show doesn't actually... It's like if it's like if we had a scene with Veronica where all of a sudden she, like, fed a guy into a wood chipper. Like, you would I'm be like... I'm, like, okay with that. <laughs> but you would be like, okay, interesting. But as as the character is set up, like... I don't know. It's I. I think it was. I think it's. It makes no sense other than it feels very much like when they brought Nick Saint Clair back just to clown on him one more time. Like, oh, here's a scene where they clown on Brett. Like they already had everything on Brett. Yeah, it Brett, just Brett didn't have anything over them. This was just so that they could beat beat up Brett, a guy who has historically just gotten sadder and sadder and sadder. I didn't feel any. I didn't feel good seeing Brett get any comeuppance. No, I didn't feel like. I don't know, and. I also I know nothing's going to come of it because this is Riverdale. I don't like that they beat a suspect into submission so that he would sign whatever they wanted him to sign. No, I like, don't. I don't think it, I don't, that's police brutality. That's not cool. I mean, yes, I'm supposed to cheer for police brutality. I mean, once again, I I agree, but this is one of those things where I'm like, in the, in the grand scheme of the TV show, like, we know Charles is... Yeah, I know. Charles is already evil. Nothing is going to come of this. I just don't like it. Yeah. Um, it was like, it's like when Hiram sexy seduced Hermione, and she said no so many times, but we were supposed to be like, ooh, this scene is hot. I, the, the, the problem that really comes comes out of, I think, for this specific scene is that it's not clear. Like, I think they really, really want you to be like, yeah, Brett got his comeuppance, but I didn't feel like Brett got his comeuppance because it was un... It was uneven to actually what he probably did. Which, really, all he did was walk Jughead into the woods. The well, only person who did less in this murder plot. Well, I'm also thinking, like, like well, I mean, really what he did is he filmed um, Jughead and Betty having sex. Um, is, like, the thing I think we're supposed to be against. Because everything else that we learned that he did, he actually was part of the group doing it. Well, I think the thing is, too, like, with Brett... He thinks the worst thing he could do is release the tape. Yeah. And so He's... the way you get back at Brett is not by beating up his face. The way you get back at Brett is by, like, publicly humiliating him. Well, I mean, no. The way you get back at Brett is proving that he's not as invincible as he, think he thinks he is, which is not, which I don't think beating him up is the way to do it. He's been punched in the face before. It's just, yeah, Archie already did that. Like, you know, like, like, honestly, the best compass for Brett is for him being like, I think this will do this to do this. And, and if Charles was just like, no. So we we offered you the deal and you're not taking it? Okay. Excellent. All right. Then we'll arrest you for this. Bye. Like, that would have been... That would have been a good Columbus for Brett because he didn't... He believes he should get everything he wants, which is why he was so angry about that, like... I mean, I know the whole thing with the contract is actually doesn't matter because the whole thing was about the murder, actually. But he believes he should get everything because he deserves it. So, like, this, him just getting beaten up is not cathartic. I'm curious to see what teenagers, you know, the intended audience of the show, <laughs> think about this, though, because they may love it. I think they'll probably think it's fine. Um, um, so then we have a TV report, a TV news report, because Alice got her job back. Yep, and uh, it's the main thing is them taking the uh, tapes out from behind the seal above the door, which is an insane place to hide things at, because there's no way you can get those without anybody else noticing. There's also no way you can put them there without anyone else noticing. Yeah, it's a very obvious thing, but that's where he was uh, hiding the tapes, I guess. And they're really playing it like that is the highest thing. Like, that is the most... 
egregious thing that came out of this. Don't get me wrong. That's very egregious. But, but the, a lot of people are dead. The conspiracy of murder and the fact that, like, the Quillen... Like, once, that's why it bugs me the Quillen skulls. The Quillen skull should have... <sighs> okay, so anyway, Betty is going to hang out with her family, but first she needs to do one last she thing. She needs to cross one more T, and that T... Is Donna. So she sits creepily in Donna's room, and when Donna walks in, she turns the lamp that she's sitting next to on. The implication is almost like, I understand that Stone, I don't think Stonewall's shutting down. Is it shutting down? They're not sure. Alice says that they don't know what the repercussions of Stonewall will be. Um, But Donna is transferring schools, so she is packing up. And not only that, somehow, somehow. Because she's the only one left. She got the contract for tr- for writing Tracy True. Nope. She got the t- contract for the Baxter Brothers, and she is changing it she's to doing become a, Tracy she's True. She's doing a spinoff into Tracy True, yes. Which are already books, because Betty was a big Tracy True fan. Yeah. So I guess she's <laughs> she got a contract for a book series, and she decided she's writing a different book series instead. I, I guess so. Because, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I wrote that down. Tracy True is already a book series in this universe. So what's she doing? And then we finally find out her secret, which we thought she was DuPont's granddaughter. Nay, nay. She is the granddaughter of Jane Dallas Brown, who is the other person yeah. who was in the literary group. So it turns out when, when Veronica said she isn't so sweet, she was making a pun off her last name. Because her last name isn't sweet. It's brown. Now, that is what throws into um, uh, into thought the idea that all these kids are essentially legacy. Because she's not. She's a kid who, lie, who was able to lie. I mean, lie. she is technically legacy. She is technically legacy, but not in a way that she could openly reveal. <laughs> then we find out that she has been doing all of this all along. She has been working so hard to get into the school for revenge. Because to DuPont did steal Tracy True from her grandmother. It's implied that he just bought it from her as well. That she says the same thing that happened to but Jughead's her, happened to her you. Her grandmother's rich. She doesn't need that. Aaron, I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but the, but what Betty says is the same thing that that he did to Forsyth, he did to you. And they use the term stealing, but the problem is they've used, used the term stealing for Forsyth's as well. So I don't honestly know if he didn't just buy Tracy True from her as well. But what's important? He did murder her, though. It's very, we should be very obviously clear that really, did murder her. really what it comes down to is not that he bought her book. It's because he murdered her. Though Donna also seems to... She is mad about both of those things. Mad about both those things. So Betty says that, I guess Donna got off from all the murder charges. Did she just cry for so long that Charles was done with it? So this is is the continuation that Joker said earlier. Apparently, apparently attempted murder is not as bad as it is. Because I do not know how she is able to just go off and do whatever she wants when she when they have evidence that she was involved in a conspiracy to murder someone and she seems to just move Un- on unless you know she's just in some really big denial and you know 3 weeks down the road when she gets <laughs> when they're like Donna did you run away and it's like <laughs> no no i'm going to my new school <laughs> no donna I mean, we're you're under arrest we're going to come arrest you now i mean anything is possible so Betty insists that Donna walk away from the contract because Tracy True deserves better, and Betty doesn't want Donna to profit off of Jughead's attempted murder. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. El- or else she'll give Donna's medical file to every... I think I think the idea what Betty the idea there is like oh you know if I share this information that you were her daughter that would be enough evidence to con- to like convict you on this whole conspiracy and I'm like they definitely already have enough evidence to convict her on the conspiracy yeah Betty you don't know anything that Charles doesn't yeah and and not and like they already have that they definitely did try to kill Jughead I mean Jughead is living proof that they tried to kill him you spent all the time figuring out what else was going on. But they did try to kill Jughead. <laughs> like, why is everyone acting like their crimes don't matter? They committed more crimes than Archie got arrested for. Well, Kevin, if there's one thing we know, it's that Veronica killed a man, and that will never come up. <sighs> so, uh, B- Betty coolly walks away now that she succeeded, but I don't know if she did. I have this very conflicting ending where I'm like, yeah, I guess you beat her, but you beat... <laughs> But you beat her in a really weird way when you could have had a bigger success. Which, which is the law. Yeah, which is the the fact that she... This, this all would have happened anyway. She wouldn't have gone the Tracy True series if she was arrested. So <sighs> then there's a short scene where Betty and Jughead pack up the bunker and he feels like the year was a waste, but she thinks they'll find meaning somehow. And then they're at school. Oh, God. And then we have to figure out what Cheryl was doing. And, of course, Cheryl acts like, of course, I knew it all along. But you know what else I know? Although she does say no, no one, one dies no in one Riverdale. And I'm like, okay, Cheryl, if any other character said that line, I would be like, yeah, because Penny Peabody kept coming back. Like, people kept coming back. You, of all people, have interacted with so many people who have died and not come back. You're not allowed to say that line. But she moves on from that quickly, and she explains that she has been watching Archie and Betty so much, and she knows they're actually in love, but the secret's <laughs> safe with her. Can I say, the amount? this This is also still perfect Cheryl, because the amount of arrogance within Cheryl's mind means she cannot comprehend that the she was chance tricked? that she was tricked. She cannot... It's like, no, no, no. I believed you two were dating. You two you two were dating. You like each other. Because my my perception of reality cannot be threatened in any way possible. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's about accurate. That is peak Cheryl. And then Jughead pops out of the office and he's going to be allowed to transfer back to Riverdale. But he's really worried that all of his credits will transfer. And I made the joke during the show. Don't worry, Jughead. Your one credit for the one course you take. Will transfer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we do see the for- that Forsyth Senior is hanging around. Uh, he's hanging out with Forsyth the Second, and then Forsyth the Second thanks Forsyth the Third for reuniting him with his dad. And it is peak Skeet Ulrich, where he's gruff and filled with love. Yep. Uh, maybe that's how he'll leave the series. He'll just go <laughs> off with Forsyth the First, and they're just gonna ride motorcycles oh. around the world off on adventures. Uh. Then we'll, ha- we'll get into our final scene with all the kids sitting in the diner. And this is what I meant by this felt like a season, if not a series finale. And they're just reflecting on the year at- b- behind. I love that Archie, Archie in this scene, when they're explaining how many months they have left of school, says two or three months. Because even he doesn't know how the timeline's working in this show. <laughs> it's just so broken. They could have any amount of time left of like, school. <laughs> like, if there's one thing that students at high school know, it's when school is over. They know... <laughs> Archie should have said, "Is 
oh man, you mean school's over in five and a half months or five and a half weeks. Or 39 days. Like they know how many school days they have. <laughs> but something really tickled me about Archie not even understanding. Like, oh, school's going to be over in two or three months, which could be four episodes or eight, or maybe we'll just have next season. It'll be that last month of school. Who knows? I don't care. And then Jughead goes, well, who knows? Me and Archie might not even graduate with you guys. I don't know why Jughead wouldn't graduate. Because his credits won't transfer. I guess. <laughs> you took what? You took one class. You didn't think it was weird that you only took one class? Because I thought you... there was some work there. I just thought you were really focused. It does explain why Jughead only took that one class. Because he was just there as bait. <laughs> he was going to be dead anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So they just told him, yeah, no, you take this one class, which is just five kids sitting around and talking about books and reading out their entire, entire book in the class. I bet those kids were taking another class either because they were pretty much just going to either murder someone and get a writing deal. Or something. Something. (laughs) So Veronica's like, wait a second. You guys are going to graduate. You're just going to study. You're going to get tutors. You're not going to do anything else. And I'm like, that's, that's not, not how, how it, works. it works. It's credits. It's credits. It's amount of credits. <laughs> yeah, Veronica, they don't have enough credits to graduate. I mean, I mean, Archie's thing is the whole SAT thing where he, for some reason, they took it last year. And he definitely, like, there have been lots more sittings. Yeah, so it's weird that he has not retaken it. Probably because just no one told him. <laughs> that was uh, his one chance. And then we learn that the variety show is tomorrow because Kevin arrives up. He says, there's a variety show tomorrow. Tomorrow, they all... Are excited. It's, it's the equivalent of the end of a show where they all laugh and freeze frame. But then the camera zooms out to the outside, and because it's Vancouver, it's raining. And there's a sting. But then no further. That's what I mean. It's, it's the equivalent of them laughing. But and... it was like a dramatic sting, like a all-is-not-good sting. Yeah. All-is-not-good. I mean, of course it's not good. There's still six episodes left. It's a Riverdale. This, in this series. But there was nothing that it, like... If they had shown something for Quinn's skull, I'd be like, oh, maybe that's coming back. Maybe the rest of the conspiracy will actually still exist. It won't. It won't. It won't. I'm tired, Kevin. But with that, there is one more question that I think has not been answered. One lingering thing. One lingering thing. They feel like they've wrapped everything up. And Aaron, have they wrapped everything up? So... Jughead's only plan <laughs> for that party was to go there wearing a creepy bunny mask and make Brett scared? Let's cut back to th- four episodes ago where Jughead was like, don't worry, Betty. Betty, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Betty? Betty, do you trust me? All of his friends had to go to this party, which he was then going oh, to yeah. <laughs> go to in a bunny mask. Was his plan to murder Brett? Like, his, it sounds like his plan was to murder Brett and get his friends to be his alibi. It sure does. Like, we don't get it clear. What was is... Jughead also in... Is this what, why he knows how you get the book contract? Because he was also doing the perfect murder. Like, that perfect would... murder of Brett. That would be a pretty great <laughs> final sh- final shot or final thing. It revealed that, like, Jughead's like, all right, Jughead. Like, like the, the brotherhood is there. And they're like, all right, Jughead, you now have the contract. You committed the perfect murder. <laughs> by killing, by having Dupont kill himself. Oh, oh. Uh, the most that, perfect murder is a murder where you didn't do any murder at all. I mean, yeah, you, the person's dead. <laughs> Though, unfortunately, that's clearly not the outcome. It's just they had that scene for some reason where it seemed like Jughead was cosmic braining this whole thing. 
But no, he just got stone. He got actual brained. Yeah, and conveniently, well, it's a good thing he wears that beanie all the time. Oh, like I like I like. He was like, I took off the rabbit mask and put on my beanie, and I'm like, but you always wear the beanie. <laughs> yeah, no one's surprised by that. It's weird that they did not account for that. <laughs> <laughs> You, they treat it like they didn't account for him wearing a beanie. <laughs> I just... Why did it, Joan do the hitting? Well, okay, so... Once again, just to wrap this all up before we do, you know, the thing that we do. The 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 plot that there is a guy who essentially got... You know, he, he, he built his fortune on false pretenses. Now, I do think that buying a book from someone is... A pretty loose false pretense to start murdering people, but he did start murdering people. Let's just be clear. Um, that is a fact we cannot deny. He, he did start murdering people. He did do some murders. The reason behind it is the reason behind it. But then this whole like conspiracy of the way that the ba- this store this back this innocuous wholesome Baxter Brothers story is passed on is through ghostwriters having to commit the perfect murder is a really cool thing that I would have liked to see, once again, slowly pulled at and unfurl as the horrors of it become more apparent. Mm-hmm. Instead, mm-hmm. we were we spent the entire season being like, what? Huh? Hey? And then they were then it's like, and this is what happened. And you're like, okay? But you're also like, I mean, a lot of that is really cool. That's cool. Well, once again, how did they nail the dismount? <laughs> Screw up the... <laughs> and I guess it's also worth mentioning that if you... If if this means they did not nail the dismount, but it is a cool story, and I wish it had been written better. Yeah, yeah, me too. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kevin. What was the CW moment? Did, did you find a CW moment? Did I find a CW moment? Uh, this episode, did you find a CW moment? Did I find a moment where logic developed the perfect murder, but little did it know that it was supposed to be actually doing the perfect murder <laughs> drama? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many. I think my CW moment is when they decide that they're going to put Jughead in a coma for 36 hours. But, like, how can you be in a coma for 36 hours without medical support? So Charles came with an FBI med van. Which means that this entire plot was never secret and everyone could have known it was a scam all along. Because the FBI was involved. Yes. I mean, to be fair, it's Charles's weird little FBI unit, which exists and not exists at the same time. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. Yeah. It it also doesn't make sense why they had to put him in a coma for 30. Like, 36 hours of a coma would seem like something that we should be seeing. Like, once again, if this revealed that he was still alive but he was in the coma, then maybe that would be cool. Also... So we know that Jughead's body was... Oh, Jughead's body was found three days later. Wait, so he woke up enough to say, no hospitals, then was in a coma for 36 hours, and then woke up and almost immediately was like, oh, let me do some fake gore makeup on my face, so... Well, yes, I guess they explained to him the the plan. (laughs) And he was like, oh, cool, cool, yeah, I'll keep pretending to be dead. Yeah. 
I almost would have liked this better if this was all Jughead's cosmic brain plan. That he was like, oh, I knew they would try to murder me. Like, that would have been great. <laughs> and the reason he was wearing the bunny mask was because he had protection. Yeah, he had, was wearing something underneath the bunny mask. So when they hit him, they wouldn't notice it. Yeah. Yeah, I would have. I Here's the thing. We would have still probably gone as hard at that. I would have enjoyed it more. It, it would have been way more bonkers and way more fun. Then, oh, Thank God these people are incompetent. <laughs> Thank God they chose that's the not, smallest woman to yeah, do the hitting. That's not fun. That's not fun to see the perfect murder was foiled by incompetence. It's fun to see the, the perfect murder was foiled by someone being smarter than them. Yeah. And they're not smarter. Anyway, did you find a CW moment? I did. And I did mention it earlier. But it's got to be the line where Charles asks why Donna lied to told Jughead that... Brad had had immunity. Just so we would remember. Just so we would, because we did not remember. I did not remember he had diplomat. I knew he was like a senator's son or something. Yeah, but the diplomatic immunity thing never. Yeah, because it means that Jughead did not look Brett up at all or know anything about Brett. Um, And and that's a good question back then. Donna says she did it because she wanted Jughead to not mess with Brett. But the problem is that she lies so much. I don't know if is that true. And was Jughead even messing with Brett then? Yeah, so I don't know why <laughs> it matters. <laughs> Just going back over this entire, like, story as well, all the reveals they did always felt lackluster. Like, revealing that, oh, Donna's actually the one in charge wasn't as... Dramatic. You guys made it out to be because they all felt equally in charge. Yeah, Brett never seemed like a ringleader. He just seemed like the loudest boy. Yeah, he seemed like oh, the, the moment where they all stared there blankly. Yeah, that let me know that they were all involved in it equally. So learning that actually Brett's because I assume Dupont was in charge. Well, and even when um, Donna poisoned Jughead on Halloween, and then they all were like, "Oh, you need to go away." Yeah, like that was one where we were like, "Oh, all the Power Rangers are in on it." Yeah, it never felt like, and then it just felt like they were all equally in on it. Brett was just loud. Yeah, none of the reveals felt revealing, and this one they revealed a lot of things that we knew already that they could have just not revealed last episode. But they're like, "Ha ha!" Oh, like like. The the way the Dr. Curdle reveal was shot was as if we did did not expect it to be him. Like, oh my god, that's how they did it. Dr. Curdle was involved. But we know, because you said it last episode. Or when they showed us Archie telling his mom in the same scene that we already saw. Yeah, like, it's... <sighs> it's not surprising. And also, Hermosa's one also isn't surprising. Like, the thing is, like, at least that one we saw a different context. But we could have assumed that context because we knew she got them the information. But I did, I mean, that one I liked the most. Yeah. I wish Jellybean had just figured it out. Like, I wish she hadn't overheard Betty on the phone and she had just... Assumed. Yeah, because <laughs> we do know Jellybean's very smart. But I would say that would have worked better if Jug had actually had it as part of the plan. If Jellybean had just assumed, like, oh, I just knew my brother was, like, smarter. Just, it's just, just a, that's just a younger sister believing her older brother's invincible. Yeah. Because he did have a plan. He did get he did get knocked in the head. If they had chosen to stab him, he would be dead. Mm-hmm. They just chose to knock him with a rock, something they did not know from Betty's past. I guess they did talk to Evelyn. They did talk to Evelyn. That whole thing makes no sense. Well, does <laughs> Evelyn know? Okay, we gotta get into that. <laughs> so, just so you guys know, you guys, the audience, we mentioned this. There is no Riverdale for four weeks. Yeah. And we figure that with Riverdale taking a break and this, and, you know, this episode being the one that ends on, we figure we'll probably also just take a break. We can't, we, we, we can't handle the whiplash anymore. Yeah, we can't go into OC when it's leaving just like this. And also, you know... 
there's a pandemic <laughs> going on. some things to focus on. Yeah, so we will be back when Riverdale returns. Now, we may drop an episode in the interim where we're just trying to cosmic mind meld this season. Yeah, that might pop up. That will sort of, sort of be an unofficial bonus episode. We don't want to confirm it will happen because we don't want to do an episode that's just us rehashing things. We don't want to do an episode that's just us saying things we've said before. <laughs> Wait, we don't want to do an episode that's just us saying things we said before, Crazy. but we just watched. Crazy. Uh, oh. So, so assume that we will be taking a break. If we pop up on your um, uh, your podcast feed, uh, congrats! And if you want to make sure that you're there for if we pop up on the podcast feed, you'll have to make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. You're all your podcasters of choice. Wherever you do, then we'll pop up right there, and you can give us a rating review. Or- you can tell everyone about Please this. share your predictions with us because I have nothing. I don't know where this show thinks it's going, and I need you to tell me where the, you think it's going. I, I know what plot line is going to pick up. I do not know how it's related to anything anymore, and that's the VHS tapes. And I guess Charles was making them? So hit us up on some social meds, Podcast Moa, Podcast MOA, on Instagram, on Twitter, or email us at podcastmoa at gmail.com. And we will see you in, I guess, a month. Oh, God. See you when Riverdale's back. Who's making the VHS tapes? Will Archie and Jughead graduate high school? Um. um. Ooh. No. Mm. Are Archie and Betty actually in love? That's probably a good one. Uh, for answers to all this and more, join us next time on Mr. Osiris and Abs. A teen drama fan cast? 